Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, new steps to take to get data done right across government. There are a lot of incredible, incredible employees inside government today that we need to organize and continue to organize and ensure that they have not just the right uh, uh, leadership, but that they actually have the right organizational capabilities and resources to get the job done. And building a 2022 agenda for agency CISOs. Big emphasis on zero trust, huge emphasis on software assurance, both pedigree, where's the software coming from, how is it built, and the vulnerabilities that are in that software. We just had a binding operational directive around that. It's Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer is retiring. Maria Rote will step down from her job March 31st. She was CIO at the Small Business Administration before she went to OMB. She also led FedRAMP at G. and served as chief technology officer at the transportation department. She's a Navy veteran, too. The Defense Department and the intelligence community have new cyber requirements from the White House. A national security memo President Biden signed today requires the Pentagon and the IC to apply zero-trust security and other processes. It authorizes the National Security Agency to require agencies to take specific actions against threats, too. You can read more about these and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. It's not too early to plan for IT Mod Week. It's coming February 28th through March 4th. More than 100 events will happen around D.C. with lots of government and industry speakers. You can Find the link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Office of Personnel Management's directing agencies to create job classifications for data scientists. The directive is part of the 2018 Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. Nick Hart is president of the Data Foundation. Nick, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. And I admit, I, I read the memo from the Office of Personnel Management, but my reflex now is whenever I see a reference to the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act of 2018, I just go, I'm just going to get Nick to explain why this is important to me. So, Nick, explain why this is important to me. Welcome. Francis, great to be here. I, I love the instinct, so appreciate that. <laughs> this memo from OPM is creating a data science occupational series. And, and that shouldn't be missed on your audience because this has been a, a topic that's been long called for well before the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. And it's been a long struggle for those in the data community across government. So translation, we've had trouble getting the right data talent in government for a generation. Um, this isn't just about computer scientists. It's not just about analysts. It's about getting the people who can do modern analytics. So increasingly, as we have big data, uh, unstructured data sets, uh, things that are cutting edge in technology, we need people who can do the right kind of analytics at the cutting edge inside government, as well as outside government, working alongside those who are in those positions in government. And so this is the public-private partnership component. You need people on the inside and the outside working together. So this is the opportunity right now in this moment where OPM has created this capability. So for the first time, this will, will, will enable the chief data officers, the chief information officers, and those in many other capacities around government to hire that right kind of talent. So this is a really exciting moment. What should agencies be keeping in mind? What should they be thinking about as they're writing these classifications, the qualifications, and uh, who all should be at that table in your view? 
Well, this is a team sport. I, you know, you, you've heard me say that before about uh, a lot of things when it comes to the Evidence Act, when it comes to data. Um, it's it's not just something that happens in isolation. So uh, these positions are probably going to be scattered around an agency. They're 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 likely not going to be in a single office or a single unit in any department or uh, agency of government. And I think that's going to be a really important thing to think about as agencies are determining where the need is. Uh, this kind of expertise is really broad. It's relevant for the chief data offices, but it's also relevant for program offices. So if you're implementing a program like SNAP, there's a lot of unstructured data that comes in from state and local uh, governments in, in partnership and cooperation with the federal government. Okay, so how do we better understand what all of that means in service to the American people as we're implementing programs? Well, let's put data scientists in, uh, in, in, in service and use them to help us understand meaning and implementing those programs. So uh, to me, that cooperation is and, and collaboration is going to be really important. Uh, the uh, Office of Personnel Management memo cites five occupational series that already exist as uh, data science work. Are those five potential models for the rest of them that agencies create, or is the nature of data science work sufficiently unique to each of the categories that organizations should probably be starting, not from scratch, but but maybe thinking differently about each uh, occupational series? Well, th this is a unique question for every agency and department to consider as they're trying to figure out what, what their needs are. So this all begins with the needs assessment. It all begins with agencies understanding their missions and core functions. Uh, the cautionary tale is a lot of agencies have, have essentially tucked responsibilities into job functions where, where they can. So there's a miscellaneous job function uh, that we use for a lot of things. I had it when I worked at OMB, it was my job function. And was it the most appropriate thing? You know, maybe. Um, but the, the reality is this, this is a, a new opportunity. And uh, I, I don't know that I would dare try to make that assessment at a, at a really broad level. Um, there are also new opportunities that will come online in coming years. The Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act also directed OPM to create yet another job series around program evaluation. That has not yet happened. And we know that that's uh, slated to come online. It's actually behind schedule. It was supposed to be uh, six months after a memo that OMB put out about a year ago. Uh, point being, it's coming down the pike soon. Um, and that will be yet another analytical function that we expect agencies to have because it is another core function of government. So um, this is, back to my point about collaboration, uh, part of this big ecosystem that we're building around better using data uh, for uh, getting our government to work better. All right, here's the timeline according to the OPM memo. Agencies must apply the data scientist position classification fly sheet to covered positions within 12 months of the date of issuance, December 20th. So there's a one-year timeline there. Is that doable? It's definitely doable. Uh, reality, it should have been yesterday. It should have been last year. I mean, th this is something that we've been talking about doing for so long that I think there's many uh, chief data officers, many evaluation officers, many officials around government. They already know where they need to apply this. So this is not something that we're going to be starting from scratch. Uh, Congress has already been talking about this for years. Uh, just at the end of last year, as OPM was putting out this memo, Congress also in parallel directed OPM to put this out. So, um, I mean, it's, it's like an interesting instance where Congress said to do something at the exact same time the executive branch was actually issuing it. And that's yet another signal of just how important this is. Um, so, again, the, we, we know that this is this is both needed, but a lot of people have been thinking about this for a long time. So. I think this means that implementation can happen very, very quickly, well ahead of that 12-month mark. I note a 
cohort that I was surprised to maybe not see directly included on this memo, Nick. Uh, the memo from uh, Kimberly Holden, Deputy Associate Director for Talent Acquisition, Classifications, and Veterans Programs, uh, was directed to Human Resources Directors, Memorandum for Human Resources Directors. And the CC at the end, Chief Human Capital Officers, Deputy Chief Human Capital Officers, Chief Information Officers Council. I didn't see anything on there about the CDO council. Is that maybe just a technicality or is that, that cause that kind of jumped out at me. Yeah. I, so I would say that's a, that's a formality of how we okay. do a lot of job classifications in government. The okay. Chico's of course have the responsibility under, uh, under federal law. Uh, the CDO's would be an important collaborator. Uh, so I think you can, you can definitely expect the CDO's will be part of this discussion. All right. Uh, what else should we pay attention to either regarding this or regarding other data issues in government right now, Nick? What's what's on your radar screen? Oh, gosh, there's so much happening when it yeah. comes to data, data broadly. Uh, but I, I think this this piece to me is is just so critical to get right in this exact moment, getting the talent inside government, but also organizing the talent that we do have. And I think this is my headline. There are a lot of incredible, incredible employees inside government today that we need to organize and continue to organize and ensure that they have not just the right uh, uh, leadership, but that they actually have the right organizational capabilities and resources to get the job done. So this is one small step and one really important step to ensure that that happens. So uh, hopefully that's not missed on the audience and uh, we can really continue to support this as implementation is ongoing for the next 12 months or less. Nick Hart, thanks very much for coming on. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Francis. You can find a link to the OPM memo in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. February 8th is the Delivering Better Outcomes Through Automation event FedScoop's putting on. It's at the Ritz-Carlton West End in D.C. from 830 to 3. You can read more about it and sign up through the link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. As you heard a moment ago, agencies will soon have a wider view of hiring data scientists. The workforce is one emphasis in the federal government's data strategy. Stephen Hernandez is the chief information security officer at the Education Department. He was on a panel FedScoop hosted recently with Bill Wright of Splunk, former senior operations officer at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Stephen told my colleague Wyatt Cash, data is the lifeblood of his agency. Most folks know us for our, our awesome mission in the education space, especially around policy. Um, and, you know, folks don't always connect the dots that, well, geez, you also have a $1.7 trillion accounts receivable and your broker maybe another couple trillion dollars every year. And in that facet, we're, we're really like a bank. And so uh, years ago, we heated the cloud first initiative and ran with it. And as of today, we don't report any data centers in terms of government data centers, which looks great on the Fatara scorecard. What that's led us to though, is a realization that much like we went through data center consolidation at the department, we're now looking at cloud rationalization and cloud optimization. Is my data and my workload in the right cloud environment to get the results we need? And so we're spending a lot of time thinking through what we now call the cloud smart initiative about the right data, the right workload, the right cloud, the right time, and in some cases, the right price point um, as various cloud providers optimize their environments. And so when we look at this, um, it's really, uh, that's our future. 
And ultimately, we're in about 40, give or take, of the major cloud service providers now. When I think about it as a CISO, it's a lot of attack surface to cover, a lot of complexity, and we're really driving for how do we drive that down. Well, that leads to my next question, kind of more specifically to you. How is your role evolving as a CISO uh, now that uh, you and the Department of Education has moved so completely to the cloud? It's a great question. And... Um, you know, even five years ago, if you'd asked me that, um, I would probably have a very different answer than today because there's a difference of having the servers in your data center and, and you have the full stack, all seven layers of the technology stack at your disposal and your ability to influence. Going to the cloud, and I think Bruce Schneier said it the best, there's an element of trusting your cloud feudal overlord that they're doing the right things too. And so what that's done in the cybersecurity space is it's transformed us in terms of we still have to know all the cybersecurity goodies, you know, the risk management, the vulnerability space, zero trust, all these different facets. But now we also have to understand the contractual elements, partner programs, vitally important to us like FedRAMP, and then how we bring all those pieces together. So it's really become an incredible team sport now where if we're not able to work with our vendor community, work with our partners like FedRAMP, while still maintaining this idea of of driving visibility throughout, in many cases, a diverse cloud portfolio, um, it's really easy to get behind. And I think that last part about how do we get parity and risk visibility through that cloud environment, that's where that the notion around optimization, that's a big discussion point there. Am I partnering with providers in the cloud space and competing providers and getting providers to win those competitions that are then also going to benefit me from the security perspective? Makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like a big challenge as well. Well, Bill, let me bring you in at this point. Um, you have kind of an interesting view of the broader federal market. Tell me a little about how you're seeing federal agencies using data uh, and the cloud to enhance digital transformation. Yeah, first off, I'm glad to hear Stephen say that's a uh, team sport. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, obviously, we're in the, the midst of a, a massive digital transformation all the way across the federal space, not just at education. Um, you know, perhaps more change in the last 10 months than the prior 10 years combined. Um, this had already begun prior to the pandemic, uh, but there's little doubt that it certainly accelerated the process. And I think there are a couple, um, couple things driving this. And I think first and foremost are citizen expectations. You know, people expect a seamless digital experience from their government. Um, cloud technologies are both increasingly vital, but they're also becoming increasingly complex. And COVID-19 just uh, threw that all into overdrive. Uh, the pandemic and the global shutdowns that followed made most government services even more critical, um, while also challenging organizations' uh, ability to deliver on those services. So agencies had to really accelerate this transformation to continue to deliver on their mission. Um, in some ways, I think this last year has been a a, a real-world proof of concept, uh, the cloud and other modernization strategies are, are now mission-critical priority. Today, nearly every interaction between citizens and government employees has some level of, uh, of, of digital connection, registering your vehicle, filing for veterans' claims, so um, all increasingly digital. And to paraphrase our former uh, U.S. CIO, Suzette Kent, you know, those agencies, such as the Department of Education, that have invested in modern technology, specifically cloud and shared services, 
Um, it's allowed them to be more nimble during this pandemic, allowed them to pivot and scale, uh, making them more resilient organizations. And at the heart of this transformation um, and every modernization effort is data. As Stephen said, the lifeblood, uh, the ability to understand that data and the ability to act on that data. Well, Stephen, doubling back to you and the topic of cybersecurity, uh, how has your security strategy changed in terms of the tools and the processes uh, as the Department of Education continues to evolve towards this uh, complex multi-cloud environment? Well, you know, it seems like we, we can't have a conversation around cybersecurity in the federal space without mentioning, one, the pandemic, uh, and then, two, the cybersecurity executive order. And, and now we also have uh, an, an added amplifier here in terms of the president's management agenda, also recently published. And I think when we look at all of this coming together, uh, I think the pandemic really drove a challenge to say, can we work in ways, and frankly, can we construct security architecture uh, to support, for example, a 100% remote workforce? And the resounding answer is, yes, we can. Um, we take that same type of innovation and mindset and we bring it into, for example, the executive order. This executive order is like nothing I've seen in the past decade. It is amongst the most comprehensive and ambitious executive orders around cybersecurity uh, that I think the federal space has embraced. And with it, now we have the president's management agenda that's challenging us to use IT strategically, use data strategically across the enterprise. And if at, if at any point in the past, security was somewhat isolated in its own little realm, uh, that's changing and rapidly. And when you put it all together, it's really doubling down on things like FATARA and these um, laws that are on the books to really advance information technology writ large including security. Something I want to touch on in that partner space, especially with the executive order, is CISA, our Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency. They're working with us shoulder to shoulder in, in several different areas, but the big ones for us, and as we're looking at the executive order, certainly around things like supply chain, around things like high value assets and around things like uh, even uh, shared services around say security operations and how can we get the best communication and information sharing through a partner like CISA. And then some of the larger, more technical and tools part of the executive order, we're seeing in some of those subsequent management memos from OMB and also some of the binding operational directives, big emphasis on zero trust, huge emphasis on software assurance, both pedigree, where is the software coming from, how is it built, and the vulnerabilities that are in that software. We just had a binding operational directive around that. And then finally, um, the, the bell of the ball, really zero trust architectures and how we're going to bring all this advanced thinking and advanced technology into the operational state and make it a reality. A lot of mandates and guidelines to follow there uh, and uh, all for the good, it sounds like. Um, lastly, gentlemen, um, you know, kind of looking ahead over the next 12 to 18 months, what, what do you see as the top security priorities, given that you have so many, uh, when it comes specifically to uh, making use of the cloud? Uh, Stephen, maybe we'll start with you and, and wrap up with Bill. 
Yeah, so uh, for us, that that data piece is is going to be huge. Um, one of those memorandums which folds into the discussion around zero trust uh, is really around the idea of, of some pretty robust logging capabilities where it comes to our systems. Uh, and for us, when we look across our cloud portfolio, it's been fascinating to see some of our providers, they're already there. It's simply a matter of, of tapping into it and getting access to the data. Others, it might be a little more challenging. And in, in, in that space, especially where we have service providers that might be a little closer to software as a service, we're going to have to work really close to their agenda and their roadmap to make sure that they understand in nine months, we need to be able to have this type of logging information. And that's a different conversation because that's typically happening around the software development level versus more of the platform and the infrastructure. And then all that to say, if we look at what OMB is asking us to do, it's about getting all that information in a centralized view. In some cases, that could be the same data lake, could be the same uh, data warehouse, depending on technologies, or in some cases, multiple and then having the ability to get access to all of them so you can compare notes. Do I have someone trying to move laterally through my different cloud environments to get a foothold and eventually escalate? I'd say the second priority is for us is definitely around that zero trust architecture. And for us, as we're starting down the path, we already have a data lake, um, fantastic investment we made a few years back and we continue to mature it. We've got a great centralized identity program. And so for us on the journey, we're really focused on right now what we call secure access service edge or SASE, that's a, a Gartner term that really provides the foundational pieces of a control fabric in the zero trust architecture that's gonna allow us to implement near real-time granular control based on endpoints and then continuously authenticate that relationship with endpoints, devices, users, and whatever resource they're trying to get to. Uh, part of that is also gonna be some advancements in our uh, security operations center, bringing in some technologies around security orchestration, automation, and response. Now that we have all this rich data, we have it available for us in the data lake, let's start having the machines make some decisions at the speed of the electrons to keep ahead of the bad folks. Stephen Hernandez, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Education Department. You can find a link to the video of the entire discussion in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing it. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Tomorrow on the Daily Scoop podcast, two witnesses at this week's FISMA reform hearing tell you what they're telling Congress. That show debuts tomorrow afternoon. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.